Wow, right? Just, just wow. What a a wonderful time we've already had in worship today. Boy, I trust the same out there at our Midlothian campus that you're coming off a great time of worship too. Kind of a rough transition here. We're having such a fun high time, but oh, we've, we've, we've got a grief and a burden in our state, don't we? Let's, uh, let's, let's pause right now and just have a, a word of prayer about what's happened, what's going on, okay? Father, we just uh, come before you this morning and, and th- these prayers are almost just getting wearisome and tiresome and trying to think of some new word or some new idea to pray about a, another mass shooting. God, you've you've told us not to sin in our anger. And we are an angry people. Believers, believers are divided and angry against one another. Every, Every bit as much as anything going on in our world. Oh, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. We need your reign of peace. We need you to bring peace to to immigration. We need you to bring peace to health care. God, we need you to bring peace to the anger that flows through our nation and just produces these mass shootings over and over. I pray for those families in Virginia Beach, Lord, that are waking up to a morning that they, they never imagined, they never dreamed could be possible, that the nightmare that they're feeling right now. I pray your peace and your presence in their lives and in their homes right now as they try to grapple with what they've walked through. Be for them what they need. Lord, I pray there are believers, I pray there are churches that that can surround these individuals and encourage and comfort. I pray they'll be faithful to encourage and comfort. Lord, I lift up to you our nation. I I, I lift up to you President Trump. I I lift up to you Governor Northam. I lift up our our federal and and state congresses. I, I lift up to you our courts. Lord, surround them with godly counsel. Bring to them godly solutions. Lord, I pray they would do what is right and just. I pray they would put things in place that promote righteousness and justice and that punish evil. Lord, even as I pray that, it seems so far from actually happening. Lord, as I pray all these things and we we plead for you to, to bring peace to our nation. Like peace is some kind of magic dust that just falls out of the sky on us. Lord, you've called us to be a people of peace. And you've called us to carry the gospel of peace into our schools and into our jobs and into our neighborhoods. I don't know what was going on in that shooter's life. But I wonder who around him could have spoken a gospel. Lord God, as we plead for answers, as we plead for you to do something, God, may we realize you've sent us into the world with the answer. 
The answer is not going to come by legislation. It's not going to come by a vote. It's going to come by a changed heart. That only happens by the gospel. God, may we be faithful to live it. May we be faithful to speak it. May we be a people of the gospel, a people of peace. Guide us into what that means, what that looks like in each place, in our homes, in our neighborhoods and schools and jobs, from one situation to the next. Guide us, give us wisdom, what it looks like to be, to be a, a person of the gospel, to be a person of peace. We need your help, Jesus. And we ask that in your name. Amen. Amen. Does that, does that make sense? We plead for answers, but we won't share the gospel. We want God to do something while we do nothing. I wonder to how many things we look up to heaven and say, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you make a difference? Where are you, God, when that happens? I wonder how many times and places he'll say, I gave you the answer and I empowered you to share it. And you won't. The gospel, you realize it's the only reason. And I've had a wonderful morning of worship, but I was not left on planet earth to worship. Does that sound strange? We're going to worship for all eternity. You were left on planet earth. I was left on planet earth to share the gospel with people who are not worshipers of the one true God. And who are not ready to enter eternity and worship. It's the gospel. The gospel changes lives. It's in your hands. It's in my hands. It's in my mouth. It's in your mouth. Who will we give it to this week? Who will we give it to? Hey, listen, we're going to continue this morning in our study through the whole Bible this year. If you're new to our church, that's what we're doing. We're, we're working through the entire Bible in 2019. And we have some Bible studies that are helping us. And it's time for volume four. Can you believe that? We're just rocketing through 2019. There are six volumes. We're on volume four. And uh, if you have missed a couple, we have copies of all of them out there. Yes, there certainly is a, a workbook and a uh, Bible study to do. But even if you don't do those, there's a lot of good material in here to read and understand as you kind of just work through the whole Bible. And uh, these four plus two more at the end of the year, you're going to have a great study tool uh, for understanding and working with the entire scriptures. So volume four, I think it actually starts in, in July. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, volume Volume 4 is where we're starting. If you want to get one of those, they're on sale today out there in the concourse or in Life Group. Uh, you can go there and, and pick them up. As we move toward our study today, I want you to begin by thinking about a big God accomplishment in your life. Do you have something you've done for the Lord that made you feel really proud, kind of accomplished and excited. You know, you, you planned on it, you worked on it, and you said, man, I'm going to do this for the Lord, and, and you did it. You, you, you actually accomplished that. What's a big God accomplishment in your life? You know, when I think about that in my life, I think of the first time I got on a plane after, at the end of a mission trip. 
And uh, at that time, I was just 20 years old. I had spent over a month uh, in what was then the Soviet Union uh, doing the work of missions, doing the work of the gospel. And man, when I got on that plane, I was like, wow, I can't believe I did this. I, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe I'm alive. And, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm heading home. And, man, there was just a real sense of excitement and accomplishment. I, I think another time I have felt that way is, is when I've been involved with, with building a church or a, a capital campaign. Karen and I twice in our 31 years of marriage have, have been a part of a, a capital campaign, building a church. Obviously, one of them we sit in, right? And, uh, but both times we, we kind of came to this idea that we're going to give more money than we ever thought could be given, than we ever thought we could do. Both times it took us over three years to, to accomplish that. And, and both times, one, one was in South Carolina, one here. I remember writing that last check. I remember, man, the sacrifices and the things we had done and just kind of the management of things so that we could uh, accomplish that. And, and when you wrote that last check, man, look, look what we did. Man, this happened. It, it worked. We did it. I mean, obviously, we want to guard against pride, right? We want to guard against this idea of, look what I've done. But you know what? I mean, you've had places, times in your life where you really set out right? To do something for the Lord, to to go, to build, to give, to do. And you did it. And and it feels pretty cool, doesn't it? You know, the reason I kind of want us thinking about that right now is that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning, a story where, where Solomon and the people of Israel come up on this moment where they just did something really big. And, and I'll tell you what grabs me about this story. What intrigues me is what Solomon is focused on in the finish. What, what he's thinking about in the midst of this accomplishment. The big thing they just did actually also was a building. They, they built the temple, the first temple. And it was, a, it was an incredible project. So let's turn there now and look and see what Solomon was focused on as they moved in and turned on the lights. First Kings chapter 8. First Kings, you'll find Kings about a quarter of the way through the Bible. You'll go through Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, then you'll be in Kings. If you get to Chronicles, you've gone too far. First Kings, if you're using a Bible app and can choose your translation, I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. First Kings chapter 8, it's a long chapter and I'm going to begin near the end, verse 54. First Kings 8, verse 54. It says, now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer, and it does mean all this prayer. He's been praying since verse 12. Verse 12 to 53 is a really long prayer. So as Solomon finished offering this, all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven And he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts. Hold on to that phrase. 
that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant. The cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true. Another phrase to hold on, hold on to. Let your heart be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in all his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. So I just read there a little, little bit of the end of chapter 8. If you were to put chapter 8 in a, in a group or in a context, it would start in about chapter 5. Chapters 5 through 8 is about the building of the temple, this incredible project. And it describes the project as taking seven years. And when it says seven years, that's not seven years from the day they started to plan. Solomon had a huge head start. The plan actually was David's idea. His dad, King David, came up with the idea of of building God uh, this temple. Uh, Up to that time, the worship of Yahweh had happened in a tent even as they got settled in, in Israel and became a little bit more of a, a permanent people and not moving around in the wilderness, they, they were still worshiping in a tent and, and David's building and David's accomplishing. And he says one day, wow, man, shouldn't God have more than this? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we show this better to the Lord? So he comes up with this incredible idea to build this temple and God blesses him and God honors him for that idea. But he also says, but not you. <laughs> I, I don't want you, David, to build that. That's not what I want for you right now. But we're going to let your son Solomon build it. So David ob- obviously obeyed. He said, oh, okay, Solomon will build it. I, I won't build it. But what David did do was prepare. I mean, he started pulling together. He amassed millions of dollars for this project. He started pulling together uh, building materials and sources. And when I say materials and sources, I'm talking like gold and precious gems and stones and some of the finest wood that they would build with in that area. He puts together a whole plan for kind of the administration uh, of this project, a building team, if you will. And, 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 and he puts the plan for the building together. So when it says that it took Solomon seven years to build this day one was construction documents in hand and groundbreaking and it still took seven years this was just an overwhelming project in its size now when, when I say size when we think of a big project we think of a big building right This wasn't the the biggest building ever built in history. It wasn't trying to be the biggest building ever built in history. It was a a large building. It was a large temple and and the complex all around it. But but size was not actually the the, the goal in that moment. But kind of what made it so big and intricate was what they were building with. They were building with gold. They were building with these precious gems and this wood. And so just the materials they would be using. You know, you don't want to waste a lot of gold, right? You don't want to waste a lot of this wood. So there's just, there's a real carefulness that probably made the project slow. Also, the way they approached it. 
Chapter 6, verse 7 describes this process where, of course, when I say gold and wood and these stones, it's, it's, it's a stone building, right? The gold would have been overlaid on the stones. The wood would have been a paneling that goes up. But it's, it's a stone building. That's how they, they built back then. And when they put these stones together, whether it was a stone like you and I would think of, a brick something that size, and there was some stones that were, say, the size of your car out in the parking lot, they would do all the measuring and cutting, chapter 6, verse 7, they would do all the measuring and cutting at the quarry, but then they would bring that stone to the temple, to the, to the construction site, if you will, and they would put it in place, lift it up in place without a single tool. Their idea was this is holy ground, God's living here, it's not going to sound like a construction site. And so can you imagine how that slows things down when you have no tools, no help at at putting those stones in place? And you say, man, how did all that get done? Well, it also describes there was 80,000 stonecutters. Just the stone cutters, 80, now they didn't work all at once. You know, as a matter of fact, the, the passage actually describes kind of the shifts that they would work in. So 80,000 stone cutters, 70,000 common laborers, 3,600 foremen. Can you imagine? Who wants to work in a place where there's 3,600 bosses? That just sounds awful. But, but that's what there was. There was, there was 3,600 bosses and they did it. They, they built this incredible temple. You know, another thing that would have slowed it down a little bit is the kind of the way they approached as not building a temple, but really it was almost like a piece of art. It, it actually describes in, in one passage, they, they have these columns that go up real high, and at the top of the column would be this capital. And, and, and it says that, you know, the, the, the artist would, would be carving these intricate pomegranates, pomegranates all around, 200, 200 pomegranates all around this capital. That would go up on top of this column. And where that column was. Those pomegranates would never be seen again. I mean this whole building is being treated as a piece of art. Much of it's never even going to be visible. Much of it nobody's even ever going to see. But that tells you how they were treating every square inch of that building. There was no just storage closets we don't care about. So you can imagine, man, the work that they've put into it, seven years, and here they are, done. So as we get to the verses that I just read, okay, we have walked through seven years. We have built this building. It is all done. As we get to the verses that I've just read, we have seen Solomon dedicate himself, dedicate the people. He has dedicated the building, He's offered up this incredible prayer. I really do encourage you to read chapter 8, verse 12 to 53. You will learn something about prayer. You'll learn something about praising God. So so read that prayer. So all of that has gone on as we get to the verses I just read. Now, if you can imagine in kind of an Old Testament setting, a temple, a sanctuary setting like they're talking about. So the, the altar is up here. And this whole time I've been praying, I mean, a long prayer, 12 to 53. I've been praying to the, to the Lord and, and finally I say, amen. And, and I turn now to the people and I, my, the next words out of my mouth are not, dear Lord, I'm getting ready to say another prayer, dear Lord. 
No, I just turn and I begin to speak. Now, y'all have started putting your chairs together, your lawn chairs. You're picking up the picnic. We're done. We had a wonderful celebration. The building is finished. We've dedicated it. We've prayed. And now we're going home. Everything is done. And yet Solomon turns and, and almost in a spirit of prayer, he continues, Lord, incline our hearts to you. May our hearts belong fully to you. Now, if I would have been up here praying and just turned, I'd have said, "Woo, what a project. Isn't it good to be done? Let's go home, take a break. No church this summer. I mean, seriously, we've just worked to death for seven solid years. But that's not what Solomon's thinking. He's not thinking about how much we've done, how much we've accomplished. He He's just focused on, hey, as we're all done, as we're finished with this focus we've had on this project, where's our heart going to go? Where's our heart heading in this moment? You you know, folks, we actually can finish a project, right? You actually can say, hey, Lord, I'm going to go here for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give this for you. And it be completed. We're done. But we're not We're not ever actually done. I mean, do we want to have a mindset? I'm done. I'm taking a break now from loving God, serving God, being devoted to God. It it seems like he's concerned that, that that just that natural. I mean, when we're finished, we have a real tendency to say, I'm well finished. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's not say that as we, we come to the Lord And and so right there he starts praying about where's my heart going next? Man, I want a heart inclined, inclined to you. That word inclined, it it means to have a tendency, a, a, a leaning. Some of us, when we're reaching for a snack, we're inclined to something salty, right? You're going for popcorn. You're going for potato chips. Others, you're more inclined to sweet. You're grabbing something chocolate. There are several of us that have really honed in and have the fine art of being inclined to both. I can go salty or sweet on a moment's notice. I don't, I don't have to pray. I don't even have to pray about it. I can just do it, right? And, you know, some of us, our natural leaning is more toward a, a, a morning person, right? Like, like Ben Franklin said, there's gold in the morning. Others of us, our natural tendency, our leaning is more toward the night. You, you see what he's you see what he's asking for there when he says a heart inclined? It's just, I don't have to be thinking or praying. It's just kind of where I automatically go. You know, that's, that's an important thought. Because when you're in a project, when you're doing something big, you're focused. You're focused, you're guarded, you're careful, you're asking questions, you want to make the right decisions. But when we're, when we're finished, when, when it's time for a break... We're not as guarded anymore, right? And by the way, this is not saying there's anything wrong with a break. There's nothing wrong with a break, with rest, with vacation. There's nothing wrong with celebrating. There's nothing wrong with having a moment. You're not quite as guarded, quite as focused. But but where does our heart go in that moment? I mean, think about it. We've got summer in front of us, right? So we're, many of us have got, got a vacation here coming up pretty soon. You know, you eat a certain way all year long till you go on vacation. In our home, we don't eat donuts in our house. We just don't do that. But we get to OBX, duck donuts first morning. 
We go to our, our, our Colorado. We go to Estes Park. We, go, we got this little donut house we go to. It, they're not even that good. They're just seriously, they're not even that good. But I, 6 a.m. in the morning, I'm going to get donuts we have, in boxes. Not like one per person. I'm, I'm talking boxes of donuts. I mean, hey, bring the whole family. We got to cart them in. Why? Because we're on vacation. You're not, you're not careful about... Now, here's one that's not so funny. Don't we treat money a little bit different on vacation? Ah, just, you know, just flies out there a little bit quicker, doesn't it? We buy, we buy stuff we don't even know why we're buying it. It's just the mood we're in, right? You get home, why do we buy this? You know, you just, you, you see what I'm saying? The moment we have a feeling of rest, the moment we have a feeling of break, of accomplishment, of done... Our heart just gets kind of silly and goes in new directions. You see what Solomon's praying about now? Hey, man, we, man, we've had seven years here where we have all known what we're about. We've all known what we're giving to, what we're working on, what we're accomplishing. But, but we're done now. Where, where, where is our heart going? Where does your heart go on vacation? What do you eat? What do you watch? What do you do? You know what Solomon's praying? Hey, God, in this little moment of break, in this moment of vacation, I want my heart to go to you. It's, it's you that I... We sang something about that, tasting the goodness of God today. Man, it, it, I, I want to eat. I want to sleep. I want to drink. I want to eat. I want to go. I want to do you, God. I want you to be what my heart beats about. Even if I'm not thinking about it, my natural tendency, my, my, my just natural leaning is going to be toward you. Now, now notice in verse 58... He said, let my heart be inclined, let our heart be inclined. In verse 61, he kind of changes it up and says, I want a heart holy, just everything. It doesn't matter what day it is or what I'm doing. My whole heart just entirely belongs to you. But whether he uses the word inclined or holy, in both cases, the heart is showing its love and devotion to God in the same way. Obedience. Obedience to all the commands. He uses the word commands, statutes, rules. Those mostly just piling up the same word over and over. But it's obeying all these commands. So in Solomon's idea, this heart that is beating for God, whether it's in the middle of a big project or whether it's on vacation, that heart is beating for obedience. He ties the two together. You know, Jesus does the same thing, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus tie love and obedience together? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I mean, it doesn't take a long time to work through that verse. What does it mean? I wonder what Jesus means by that. Well, if you love me, <laughs> you'll obey my commandments. And, and you'll obey, again, all. Gosh, do we even, do we even know all the commandments? When you think about loving God, how often are you thinking about obedience? I mean, don't we? I do. Don't we have a real ability to think about loving God with no thought at all of the obedience in our lives? I mean, we can think about loving God, sing about loving God, talk about loving God, and not have a single thought about where, how, how we're obeying, how we're showing that love through obedience. And when we do evaluate our obedience, again, I don't know about you. I know what happens in my life. Too often I point to my short list over here. Don't we all have like a little go-to list that we're pretty good at obeying? 
I, I've got a group of commandments. I'm pretty faithful, pretty consistent at obeying. I go to church. I don't steal. I, I give. I tell the truth almost all the time. I don't cuss almost. You notice the more things we try to think we have to obey, the more we have to qualify it. (laughs) Try, mostly, kind of, sort of. But we have this little go-to list over here. Now, never mind that for everything I say I'm obeying, I got 10, 15 commands over here that I'm not even thinking about. I don't think about them. I'm negligent with them or just straight up disobeying them. All the commands... You know, I just think about one area of the believer's life, our, our relationship with one another. As a matter of fact, I've preached a couple of times a, a message. It's been quite a while now. Uh, y'all, y'all, some of y'all remember a message where I used the phrase one anothering? Sound kind of familiar? Okay, you've been here for a while. I think it's been like five years since I preached that message. There's over, I think it's 36, but I'll just say over 30. There's over 30 commands in the New Testament that govern how you and I relate together. And many of them are directly tied to loving Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will love one another. If you love me, you'll forgive one another. Matter of fact, if you don't forgive, stop saying you love me. You're lying to yourself. Well, Jesus wouldn't say that. No, yeah, he actually did. First John chapter 4, go check it out. Don't, don't say, stop saying you love me when you don't forgive one another. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, help one another, bear with. That's a real fancy way of saying put up with each other. <laughs> That's just five. Can you name the other 30 commands? Awkward silence. So now here's the tough question. If I don't know what the other 30 commands are. Wonder what the odds are I'm obeying them. Hey, you know, I I actually think pretty highly of y'all. You're obeying some of them even if you don't know them. If you're spirit-filled, if you're walking in the power of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, you're obeying some of those on accident. The Holy Spirit is going to take you there. But is that how we want to love God? On accident? I want to on accident love God today. I want to love him by obeying him. And I didn't even know I, I, was, I was doing it. That's just one area of the believer's life. Now, now you might say, yeah, but there's just so many commands in there. How's, every, how's anybody ever supposed to know? I don't know, but I know this. Think what God's idea is. We're just so in love with him and so want to show that love that we're in this book every single day. Every single day, I want to learn new commands. Every single day, I want to be reminded of old commands. Every single day, I want to be convicted. I want to be encouraged. I want to be challenged on God's commands because I want to love God on purpose today. I want to obey all his commands. Amen? You know, I got got to thinking as I was working on this message this week, it's a good message to start summer off with, isn't it? I mean, that's just where the book brought us, you know, and yet here we are. You know, it's funny, in the American cycle of life, summer is a, is a break, isn't it? Now, I'm looking around the room, most of us probably going to work tomorrow, just like if it was, you know, February 13th or something. 
you know. But there's just that feeling. I mean, school, the school calendar so governs our lives that even if we're not in school or have kids in school, there's still September to May, June, and then, and then summer. And then in summer, we feel like we're owed a break, right? We're owed some downtime, not all the busyness, not all the running. And, and isn't this exactly where Solomon would speak to us and say, hey, what are you going to do in that break? Where, where does your heart go in that? Does your heart go to church more in that break? Or does your heart see the opportunity not have to go to church as much? Everybody's taking some time off. Nobody will know or question. Do, do, do I read the Bible even more because I, I don't have so many activities and I don't have so many things to run and do at night and, and I'm using some time at night or making sure I can wake up early? I want to read more of God's Word. Is that where my heart goes? Or does any time I come up on a break, I kind of see it as a break from the Lord? We do, by the way, don't we? You don't have to nod. We go on vacation, we go on break, stop and think about where, where, does, where does the Lord go on my break? See where Solomon's challenging us here? Man, let your, let your heart be inclined. God, don't, don't let us do that. Man, it's wonderful to be finished. It's wonderful to feel accomplished. It's wonderful to have a break. I hope you have one this summer. But not a break from God. I do not pray that for you. I do not pray that you have a break from God this summer. Oh, maybe we would pray, Lord, incline my heart to you this summer. God, incline my heart to your word. May I want to use this summer to be more in your word than ever before. Lord, guide me to to commands I'm ignorant of. Guide me to commands I'm being negligent with. God, I really want to on purpose, with devotion, with commitment, love you, love you in my break. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace, your patience with us. We obey two commands and we pat ourselves on the back while we ignore a hundred. Lord, thank you that you let us grow, that you let us learn, that you let us develop, that you don't hold every command over us. You actually do reward us. You do bless us when we hit the two. Lord, may our response to that not be satisfied to just hit the two. May it be love that drives us into your word. May it be love that that drives us to want to know all that's in there. So that we can obey it. You are so, so worthy of our love. Oh Lord, I would pray for each of us this summer. An opportunity to get to Labor Day and say, Jesus, I love you. And there's a whole summer of obedience filling those three words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.